Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Two wins from two for England and they saw off Australia at Twickenham on Saturday in what was at times a scrappy game. Eddie Jones picked an experimental side which included both Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell as well as Manon Tuolangi, but he was on the wing. The England coach insisted that his back line is not dictated by numbers on their shirt, adding that his plan was to have fluidity in their play. We'll be breaking down the victory and the tactics of England's new look backline with the Telegraph's Charlie Morgan shortly. Next up for England is a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final with South Africa. Eddie Jones says he wants to finish the autumn campaign with a scalp of the world champions before heading into the next year's Six Nations. We'll be discussing the Springboks in detail with my co-host today, who is Bob Skinstad. Ireland produced the performance of the weekend to see off the All Blacks in Dublin on Saturday and now three wins out of the last five games for the Irish over the Kiwis. Huge shot in the arm for the head coach Andy Farrell, who is enforcing a new style on the team. We'll get the thoughts of the Irish Times' Leon Toland about the Irish and just where their ceiling is under Farrell and what they can do with his current set of players. Elsewhere, we'll be recapping the rest of the weekend's clashes. Scotland failed to be, build on their win over Australia, suffered a defeat to South Africa, and Wales were pushed all the way by Fiji and Cardiff. And the Red Roses, England women, carried on their good form with another big win over Canada. We'll also be looking ahead to another full slate of games this weekend and we'll be answering your questions as always. Delighted to welcome back alongside me once again, regular contributor, co-host, former Springboks captain Bob Skinstad. Hello, Bob. How are you going, Brian? Not too bad. England's uh, win with a new backline. What do you make of performance overall? I think it was exciting. I mean, I like, uh, you and I have had long discussions about Marcus Smith and, and you know, the, the opportunities he brings to spread the ball and create nice gaps. Farrell's always had a good pass, good distribution, probably better known as a, as a more physical um, kicking fly half than Smith is, but I think the combination is nice. I, I think um, there was a bit of consternation about Tua Lange off, off, off the wing and what were these guys going to do in the centre, but they looked fine, you know. Freddie Stewart impressed, nice big gap up the middle, I watched the the uh, replays of a couple of the backline moves, and there was a there was a complexity to them that 
often you don't find in, in players when they've only played together once or twice. But but I really was impressed with with that level of complexity to the to the moves to the you know the the wraparound and the yep. spreading and yep. the and the space finding if you want. So so I thought very good. They, they looked very dangerous when they got the ball on the front foot. Let me just say this: um, it, there is a very big difference between watching games live and watching games on TV. Yes, because the game. Um, stuttered uh, mm. a lot. There was a lot of long breaks, and a lot of the crowd were quite restless. Okay. And I came away sort of flat, but then I made myself watch it on TV. Mm. And it was a lot better on TV because the gaps where nothing is happening when you're sat in your seat, you know, the commentators are going through replays and yes. giving their opinions and whatever, so you're entertained. Um, so I think the truth is probably somewhere in between. I, I, I don't want to take away credit for an experimental England side for what they did. Mm. You know, that uh, margin, 32-15 over Australia. And Australia, frankly, um, their 15 points were given to them by England because they never looked like scoring. Um, but it was it was an awful Aussie performance. It, I mean, just for example, Curtly Beale, who, I mean, he's getting on 36, but he's a class player. And he, he simply dropped the ball mm. four or five times. I've never seen that before. And I, you know, I... I uh, they were they were static. Uh, only when the game broke up later on did they manage to to fashion anything out of it. Um, so I just want to say that, but make it plain that I'm not seeking to. That's not it's not England's fault. That's how the, the no, Australian exactly. played boy. So um, you know, with an, with that side, they did what they did. What do you make of the Smith and Farrell partnership, ten and twelve? Well, I like I like this combination. I mean, I, I it's it's got a little bit of Steady Eddie, if you want, excuse the the pun with uh, with 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 the head coach's uh, first name, but it's a, it's got a little bit of what he likes to be able to fall back on if he's in trouble, and it's got a little bit of the exciting play that you know Lions pundits and and fans were looking for from Marcus Smith and and even Finn Russell. So so I think you know England could turn around and say, well, we've got a bit of space, let's run the ball and cheapers. What an what a, an, an exponent of that type of game that you've got, and and I just liked the combination. I felt that Farrell didn't shy away from spreading the ball at pace, you know, with speed into space, and and once they got the momentum, and Smith thrives when he gets that kind of ball. So his little inside passes worked, his his finding of the gap for Freddie Stewart worked, his spreading of the ball over the top worked. I think they'll still have to refine a little bit of, you know, ten to twelve, and they're caught up. Then what? Because Ten and twelve are, are stuck in. Who, who's going to be their next carrier player, etc.? They, they've got some loose forwards who can carry the ball beautifully, as we saw. Well, we'll, we'll talk uh, in depth more with Charlie Morgan, uh, that was a senior rugby writer at the Telegraph, very shortly. But if they're going to play, as John says, without uh, regard for numbers on their backs, which means people appear, you know, the first receiver, you know, is one of three. Farrell, Henry Slade appeared there. Yeah, Marcus. Marcus. Smith. Yeah. This is a sort of game that will not be refined overnight. You're right. You know, no, it, you, it is, it, you know, if you are going to just do it, you've got to give the players enough chances and for things to go wrong, because they will do, and South Africa will be a big test for a different sort of game. Well, um, remember, do, remember, I mean, you're comparing two, two sort of styles of rugby here, and you're saying the one's not easy to get right, and you're so right. I mean, look how long it took Joe Schmidt to get even the players of the of the class of, you know, O'Driscoll into Carney into Sexton, um, Ringrose. These these guys are, are amazing distributors of the ball at pace, you know, with speed, etc. And you know, 
when, when, you, when you understand how long it's taken them to be able to still execute that game under the high pressure of Southern Hemisphere times and win, if England are starting to evolve and get it right in the first couple of uh, sort of runs out, that's very positive. I mean, it's, it's hugely positive to see that the, the rugby we've seen at Harlequins is being embraced at a higher level. I'll tell you what will be interesting. If and when, because it will happen, they have reverses because it doesn't quite go well under the pressure of international rugby and defences, and it may well happen against South Africa. Mm. What the media do, uh, what the fans do, because everyone's been calling for change, and I, I, I described it as an even, and then I thought to myself, yes, it was, but what do you expect from an experimental side? Everything looks great in training. Mm. When you're under pressure in international rugby and defences are you know, a lot tighter, you can't expect, first off, for this to work all the time and be seamless. It would be remarkable. In fact, there would be something wrong if, if it did happen. So well, we, we, what we, I hope is, I did what yeah. I hope, is now they started down this line, they don't suddenly say, oh, a um, couple of reverses, let's go back to whatever. Yeah. Got to stick with it, to me. Well, um, and, and that's the role that Eddie's got to play. He's got to protect the players and his backroom staff. And, and we've seen, you know, there have been people shipped in and shipped out and moved, and, he, and he's now got what I think is his settled backroom staff, which is great. He needs to protect the players from the pressure of the fans and the administrators because they're the first people who start calling for heads to roll when yeah. things don't go right. And, and, and that is the, 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 probably the, the best skill in being a head coach mm. is being able to do that. I mean, we, we know how Woodward deflected when they were trying to play a certain game. Lancaster wasn't able to deflect. But he's a good enough coach. Look what he's done with Leinster and, and on with Ireland. I mean, well, Eddie, you know. Eddie will just throw a dead cat on the, on the, on the table, <laughs> won't he? Something outrageous and everyone will be talking about that. Um, do, do you think that South Africa um, will be more or less encouraged by this sort of style? Do, they, do, they think, do you think it will be something they think they can exploit? Um, well, I mean, I, you, you've said two things for me here, that which, which will affect how South Africa react. One is, are they able to do it in a row under high pressure? Because I don't think Australia created that pressure. South Africa's got an outside-in defence. Scotland went over the top once and scored a try from it. If England can you know, have Marcus Smith in the distributor role and, and Mapimpi and those guys tackle from the outside in which they do and miss one, which they did, England will score. Because cause that is a closed-down tactic. And, and if they're able to play that under pressure, which I think they will, then South Africa will have to, be, they'll have to stand off a little bit. And as you know, that makes more gaps. It creates carrying opportunities for the loose forwards. And, and England have got a nice, big, strong pack. But the other thing you said was that can they do it under pressure? Everybody's been the hooker throwing the rugby ball against the poles and you get 25 out of 25. But when you've got 60,000 yeah. people yeah. baying for your blood... Do you, do you find the jumper? And, and Scotland proved that this team, although they do spread the ball and they're great, at those two critical moments in that match, they'd, they'd turned over South Africa, kicked the ball down country, tackled South Africa at five-minute scrum, didn't find the jumper. Yep. You know, and Eben Etzebeth was up there, and to his credit, jumping in a, in a probably uh, – it's a difficult decision. Do you, do you just count to the shove or do you jump? And he went up and nicked the ball – South Africa, you know, three minutes later scored a try down the other side of the field. Now, for me, that's a 10-point turnaround. It is, yeah. You know, and, is. and I, I think England are good enough and have played long enough together to know that, so they're going to have to infuse that in their game this week.
Well, tell you what, why don't we look at the tactical side of it in more detail? Uh, we've got Charlie Morgan with us. Uh, Eddie Jones spoke a lot about players, you know, not looking at the number on the shirt, etc., etc., etc. I understand that. And, but at times on Saturday when I was watching, the variety was obviously there. Just take for Tuolangi, for example. If he picks his line behind the 10, it's coming inside or outside, he's a lot less easy to pick up as a def- uh, for a defender than he is if he stood in the centre, which he was at times. Now, if they're going to play this way, it's very, very alfresco. And it's putting a huge amount of trust on the players. I'm not saying it's wrong, but do you think, from your point of view, uh, that it worked enough for it to be persevered with? I certainly think it was it was clunky in parts, but I actually think there's a degree of clarity to what those individual roles within it. I think the main bit of direction, we all know, as, you, as you've kind of hinted at there, Eddie Jones doesn't care about convention. He doesn't care about our perceptions of what players' positions are. He doesn't care about premiership form. But I do think there was a clarity in that the main bit of misdirection about the whole team announcement was that Slade was playing at fullback. He had Slade playing at fullback. He had Freddie Stewart on the right wing, where he's played a little bit before for Leicester Tigers. And I didn't think I didn't see anything from Manny Tuilagi to suggest anything else than he was playing at 13 outside that midfield axis. Now, there, what what England are trying to develop is as two different sides to their attack with Martin Gleeson there as well. They want to get more aggressive in in two areas. One is off line-out strike moves where Tuilagi is absolutely key, and the other is off kick return. Now that's where I think their chaos comes in because they want to generate quick ball and with Stewart playing the way he is, I know we're going to get on and get onto him in a second, with him playing the way he is, high balls are almost like a set piece in the, in the, in the certainty that he gives England. So they're the two areas and, and the quick ball they want to generate is where the fluidity comes in, I think. Charlie, good to chat and, and nice to have you here. I mean, I, I think you make a good point about the, the fluidity. Sometimes you need the right combinations playing at the right time. You know, Marcus... Smith, for me, has has found a real um, ability or has shown a real ability to be dexterous with his short passes, inside passes. So he combines the forwards and the backs as an attack force. That's a lot harder to do when you haven't played the whole domestic season with them. Do you think he was close enough to a level that he's been doing that with Quinns, you know, the lovely little inside passes to the locks or the loop over the top to the outside backs? If he's doing that and create that sort of standoff, wizard where you don't know the pass is going to go he's going to give a lot more consternation to a defensive outfit from the Springboks that have been very good about 10, 12 13 holding that back Sure, I, th- I think Eddie Jones cannot be um, accused of throwing Smith to the walls at all, I think there's been a, a gradual nature to how he's been brought into this to this England side, having those two games over the summer, having that game off the bench against Tonga and now being outside Farrell now that relationship with Farrell, I think, is key in how England manufacture the best scenarios for Marcus Smith to get the ball. He's at first receiver a lot of the time for Harlequins. Um, on Saturday, his best work was for the Stewart try from second mm. receiver. Now, what I think they're doing is having Farrell there so he can play first receiver to generate quick ball, and then they'll give Smith the freedom to step up at first receiver as it gets quicker. At now, third and fourth phase or whatever Yeah, it is. for sure. Okay. So, for, for, so you'll see... Um, Farrell and in fairness you saw Henry Slade at first receiver a lot in that first game against Tonga and then Mark Atkinson when Mark Atkinson came on playing that first receiver role with Tuilagi off their shoulder from first first um, phase to generate that quick ball that's a line out attack that's, part, that's the, that part of what they're trying to get better at and then that's when Marcus Smith can step up at first receiver play those because you're right it's not necessarily 
all the time big these big loopy passes it's those short ones and a lot of the time that's his that's his connection with Don Brandt isn't it that's what makes that so yeah, great is yeah. the angles that Don Brandt's cut, cutting and the cohesion now we've got to also bear in mind and I think you are because you're imploring patience which is great um, is that he, he has a really sharp, intuitive understanding with Danny Kerr at Harlequins and he has Andre Esterhazen. That's a big point because yeah, when he's in I'm trouble, These give it to Esterhazen, even if he's on static ball, it takes three men to bring yeah. him down. But that's what I'm saying. So, These are not his weekly warriors. Yeah, because when people are talking about this fluidity, it's different to the Quinns fluidity. Mm. You know, Quinns do not swap around players willy-nilly and they don't always appear here and there. So it's, it's, it is very different from that. Um, as I say, I tell you, South Africa was some good. Well, they do have good centres, but Esthausen, what I, I'm amazed he's not somewhere. Is he somewhere near the, the squad? He's been in the squad. He was he was in and around the Lions squad. Um, he's 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 played a number of tests, as you know. I just think that that twelve and thirteen in South Africa are so settled yeah. that you know Esthausen, by his own admission, is not a fullback, wing, or centre. He's a he's an inside centre or maybe an outside centre. So he's probably been sacrificed to to a you know for a a, a player Damien Phillips or someone who can play three or four of those those outside back positions. Um, Charlie, um, there's been a lot of debate about Liam Farrell. Um, some are saying England's backline without him, starting that is, uh, opens up more possibilities. Now, Eddie Jones is not going to drop him. He's his man. He's his captain. We don't see the work that Farrell does in the camp, it may be hugely important. Um, and Jones obviously sets store by that. But um, can you ever see a scenario where he's on the bench? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's something that Eddie Jones will be facing up to over the next couple of years headed to the World Cup. There's a really interesting point of the um, the last Six Nations. Wales were losing in Scotland and they, they whisked off both. I think it's Gareth Davis at... Uh, scrum half but it's certainly done bigger together with half an hour to go it was a big call um and those two guys came back into the into the first team but it was that adaptability from the coach from Wayne Pivak that that helped them kind of get out I think there's a red card as well mine but um that helped them kind of readjust during a game I think Jones will be will face up to the the idea that a more balanced midfield outside of Marcus Smith might do but not might be the better selection for certain scenarios. However, a really interesting point you made about watching a game back as opposed to live. When you watch that game back, that um, connection between um, Smith and Farrell could have opened up a lot more if the understanding had been slightly sharper, if a pass had gone, come slightly earlier or slightly later, or if... Well, the, it takes time. You, takes you can time. run these on the training field, they look great. Whatever your defence is on the training field is not like is not like in games. It just it just isn't. There's nothing you can do about that. Um, just one the, more really important caveat, as well as the as well as the cohesion that they're building. Um, England's breakdown and set piece were probably the worst they've been for a while, and that's not that's not going to help either. No, no, it isn't. Um, I, I, the Springboks bigger tests in nearly every area. You know the scrum which they showed against. England in the World Cup final and against Scotland. If you get it wrong, then I, I would expect Miles to come straight back in because they need him. Um, case of concentration, so on the line out, very well, but by and large, but then on a couple of really crucial ones, which in very tight games might cost you. And 
they ever got anywhere near a five-metre driving front, you know, that was really easily combated. And Australia did, that was probably the only thing that Australia did well. And I, I, I want to say this again, I'm not trying to take away from the England performance, but Australia were fucking dreadful. Look, <laughs> um, the, um, the, the Springboks, defence, as we've seen, a lot tighter. The game, there'll be more ball in the air. They're a much better kick-chase team. They're, probably, they're the, be- the best kick-chase team in the world. And, uh, and England would put under pressure. And if we are looking for them to try and create counter-attack, it's going to be marginal because they might have man and ball a lot of time, so they're going to have to be judicious in, in, in how they do that. That said, if they're going to go forward, I've always said there's no point in playing South Africa's game because they'll beat you because they're better. They're bigger, they're more physical, and they, like, and they enjoy doing that, and they're very good at it. So this sort of potential in the long run, for me has probably got more chance of, of beating them you know, in a couple of years' time and what have you than the way that they, they came unstuck uh, and have come unstuck um, you know, recently. That, that, the pinch point, I think, when you're playing South Africa, you mentioned, Bob, the um, out-to-win defence. So can you, um, how he's not on the World Player of the Year shortlist, yeah. who knows? Yeah. <laughs> what a phenomenal player. Just so, so clever in space with how he shuts people down and funnels those runners back get, inside. He doesn't get the publicity at all, does he? He no. really doesn't. Brilliant player. But that's the pinch point. And um, when the Lions had Finn Russell on, they were ma- they, but they managed to beat that time and again. And that's what made the Lions look dangerous in that last test. Now, mm. Scotland, as you mentioned, they, they beat it once. But their undoing on Saturday was not being able to do that consistently and... Um, coughing up those chances five metres out. That set-piece squeeze and the defensive squeeze is what got South Africa through. They weren't at their best, but they won at Murrayfield comfortably in the end because of those two things. Now, England either um, back themselves with two distributors to get outside that more consistently or they look at how Australia um, beat South Africa back-to-back in September, which was... Karevi having huge games, being really direct, and then pace off that quick ball that that generated. I think England will, theoretically be able to play both ways but it's just whether or not they've built up that cohesion and actually ironically I think we might look back at at Farrell not being available for that Tonga game and not being able to start off that relationship with Smith and that might be um, slightly detrimental to their chances in this last game. Just a final point from me I I put it in my column Um, the breakdown at at times they just didn't get enough men in you could see people waiting for the ball to come out what they're supposed to be doing outside and then oh we haven't quite won it so it's really slow, or actually got turned over, or counterrupt, you know, on scrums there. And uh, what you, Elizabeth, Vermeulen, Dillende can stop breakdowns on their own. Well, so they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to get that right. Someone asked me this on on the weekend, and they said, so, so, you know, we've got Hamish Watson. You know, it's just Dwayne Fleming, it's just another player. And I said, what you don't understand, I mean, although I've vo- avoided them for ninety percent of my career, <laughs> a, a, a ruck is a dynamic part of the game. So if Dwayne Vermeulen is in a ruck, he's, he's pulling two players towards him, he's bumping the arm of the guy who's got it on the opposition, he's slowing it down, he's trying to pull the, the scrum off and he's, he's buying three seconds for his de- defence. If you get a guy without experience in the ruck, he's just attending. He's just in there and sort of trying, yeah. trying not to get into too much trouble, not make a mistake and then getting out. But once you get that experience, I mean, think of even just watching over the years. I used to go into rucks and malls with Martin Johnson. He wasn't even two meters within me, but he would somehow hurt me and two other people <laughs> close to me and, 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 and affect how we would have then the ball going forward. So these people are, they're sort of purveyors of the dark arts of, of that space. And if you, if you have people that are wet behind their ears, 
you know, Michael Hooper can't do it all on his own. When now suddenly the curries of the world and that are they saying, you know, I've been in and I've I've shoved a few people around and it's affected the game. I'm going to carry on doing it now. Now that ruck is a really dynamic place to compete, not necessarily always for the ball, but just for for mom- the mom- momentum that you need going forward. And and I think that'll be a, a big big focus point for this weekend's game. Now then, time to look at the outstanding performance of the weekend. Ireland produced their finest display yet under Andy Farrell, defeating the All Blacks 29-20 in Dublin. They were delighted to say, I'm delighted to say, that the Irish Times' Liam Toland joins us now to discuss that win and how the Irish are evolving under Andy Farrell. Hello, Liam. Thanks for joining us. No problem, Brian. I was fascinated by your conversation on the rock, and I suppose that would be a good place for us to start because there is there is a shift in identity how Ireland are playing. And if you just took the rock as an example, um, the big question coming into the weekend is: Could Ireland uh, replicate the swashbuckling performance against Japan when they're playing against the All Blacks? And of course, we knew there was a it was a stiffer test. But the offloading in the passing game and that work around the breakdown that Joe Smith, I suppose, insisted on such high quality. Ireland have shifted their emphasis away from the ruck. They, they still do it and they still have a high standard, but it's a far different game style. There's a great new identity uh, uh, opening up and the ball, and you see how the Irish back row are spending time in different parts of the pitch, getting on the ball and offloading, uh, not as much as they did against Japan, against the All Blacks, but certainly the ruck is a significant difference in, in this autumn series to what we've been seeing in the Irish in the past. Kellen Doris, I mean, he's had restricted opportunities for various reasons. But when he's on form, he's some player, isn't he? Absolutely. I think the balance with Brian is, is very, very interesting because like we had an awful lot of CJ standards, 50 caps for Ireland, two lines, tours, etc. And he was a, a super number eight. But what, what Caelan Doris and particularly Conan at eight bring is is they can do the crash bang wallop. We saw Doris when he ran into Cody Taylor and just kind of bounced him off and ran under the post. That's important. But it's the angles and the lines he's running. It's the, it's the, it's the hunting in, in a pods of three. Obviously, Ireland are now playing a 1-3-2-2 system, but the ability of Caelan Doris to go into heavy traffic is one aspect, but to hunt and look for offloads, look for space and the lines he's running. So what the Irish back are doing at the moment is they're creating less rocks. Yes, Ireland still had like buckets and buckets of rocks at the weekend, way more than New Zealand. But what's this Irish back row and Caelan Doris, you mentioned, is they're giving other players way more opportunity that may happen in three or four places time and particularly with them with with the halfback pairing but Jason Gibson Park yes he's playing within a system but he's so much more comfortable around creating other opportunities and when Caelan Doris gets that half yard and in some cases 20 yards uh, a halfback pairing particularly Park is coming in it seems to be running much much less Excel spreadsheets the only way I can call it Mm. one or two box kicks a game but so many other variants and rugby is as we all know, is about creating space and exploiting it. And Ireland are doing it in a different way now than they have been doing in the past. Liam, can I just ask a quick question? And, and I completely agree with you. You know, man, managing those those um, those rucks or the or the sort of scarcity of them, if, if if you need, you know, moving away from one where you can have the old, the famous sort of Richie McCaw reach uh, over to, you know, and steal your, your ball. Ireland did that exceptionally well. Uh, Paul O'Connell has come on board, and he's long been a proponent of of don't over egg, you know, managing the ball if you don't need to. Get it out to the people who use the momentum to get over the advantage line. He's always said, you know, it doesn't have to be just one big sort of forward scrimmage and forward battle. It, let's use the outside backs and let's, and let's get there. Do you think we're starting to see a bit of the influence since he's come on board? 
Oh, 100%. There's a famous phrase he used before an English game where he said, we put the fear of God into England. And he kind of puts the fear of God into anyone he's working with because his standards are that high. But he, his, his credibility is even higher again. Yeah. And we all know his, his power on the, the, the line. Like he's a complete nerd, but like what he achieved in, as a player is now beginning to manifest itself within the group. But there's another thing that I think is important as well is that the Irish team obviously struggled a little bit when Joe Smith went and the new identity. But one thing that was very obvious is they were happy. They looked happy. They, they looked were smiling. Happy. And I know, like, you look at Jack Conan before uh, the hacker, and, like, he hasn't faced that too often, yet he was in a, in a different headspace. He was happy. Jason Gibson Park is happy. And I suppose one of the massive things is is, is low on the wing. Like, he obviously received some tongue lashing. Maybe it was from Paul O'Connell. Maybe it was from Andy Farrell. But he has transformed as a player. He's worked great and his contribution around the pitch. There was two offloads the weekend, and he was responsible for both. But going back to, to, to Paul O'Connell, like, I think he is obviously he has the credibility, but on top of that, as a an orator and a speaker, he'd be very clear, very concise, and he'd mm. keep it really, really simple. And you can see the evidence. But I'd say the players would sign it if he expects them to achieve something, yeah, they won't be coming at halftime and having to explain that they didn't, you know. And there's a combination of all that too. Ali, Joey Carberry, he was quite impressive when he came on. Sexton, will he go, won't he go, whatever you uh, do you think um there's a change in in the in the offing at the piloting space there, or is it just something they can play with until they, well, they they can play with right up to and during the World Cup on the bench off the bench starting. Look, when we get to the World Cup, we're going to be facing South Africa, then Scotland, then a quarter final, then a semi final and final. So there's five massive tests. Now, can we get through all that with Johnny Sexton? It's it's unlikely. Statistically, it's unlikely. So we definitely need backup. And I think Jack Carty's actually brought into the squad for the weekend, the Connacht out half, and he's been playing exceptionally well. Very lucky to miss out on, on the earlier squad. So to your point, Johnny Sexton is, is the clear driver of this team on the field. And you hear someone like Keith Earl said he's the best rugby player he's ever played with. Like that's some nod considering he's played with some of the greats of our game. And he says Johnny Sexton is still the driving force behind it. What's interesting in the new identity of what Ireland's doing Johnny Sexton isn't quite as dominant as others stepping up, like at, at fullback Hugo Keenan is getting involved. Then you see that passage of play that led to um, Carberry's halfway line kick. Like that was kind of like Johnny Sexton when he came in for Leinster when when uh, Contepomi was injured and he came in they won the, mm. the the European Cup in 2009. He just grabbed the opportunity. Three massive things happened in that moment. Uh, Ardi Savea picked the ball from the base of the scrum, went open. He bounced Peter Romani a little bit. He had come on at that stage. And the, the play carried on. And uh, James Lowe smashed in midfield. And Peter Romani had bust his ass to get back and steal that ball. The, the, the work to get back into that place was significant. And then it was finished off. Like if there was an, if there was an argument for missed opportunities, it was the eight minutes or so Ireland played in the 22 and didn't get enough reward. But to have your, your second choice out half nail that from half line is massive, like for the crowd, for the team and for Carberry himself. So I think he is definitely someone who struggled a little bit monster in the start of the season. He has had his injuries, of course, but I think Carberry is enormously important, um, mm. as is the rest of the bench. But Carberry is hugely important because Sexton can't do it all. And I think one of the good things about the Autumn Series is other players are stepping up, like Carberry, like Hugo Keenan, and so many others as well. Just a final question uh, before we let you go, Liam. Um, like Australia, in combination, I don't think I've seen the All Blacks and the Aussies make so many unforced errors on a weekend. Now, 
as with England, I want to stress this, I'm not trying to take away from the Ireland win, but do you think there'll be an element of realism in that, um, in that you, you can only play what's in front of you, but New Zealand didn't play that well. So do you think they'll be taking that into account when they're planning, you know, when they're debriefing? 100%. I was, in the, I was six rows from the touchline at the end of, of, the, of the game and the body language and the players, yes, there was euphoria and, and, and there was a lot of celebration, but there was an immediate realisation if you hear the language and see the body language of the players afterwards. This team doesn't have the burden of losing all those quarterfinals in the World Cup. It is aware of that and I think that's important. It will also be aware of the fact that it took us 100 years or so to beat the All Blacks for the first time. We've done it three times. But the three times we've done it weren't in World Cups. So that's the ingredient that needs to be changed. Like, yes, we should celebrate this victory, but you need to take into account New Zealand obviously have a long season. It's the longest tour in their history in terms of touring because of the COVID and all that sort of stuff. And you kind of go, yes, there will be a definite realism. But I think there's a happiness about the squad. There's a new identity about how the squad are playing. We're playing Wales at home in the Six Nations, then France away, then Italy away, I think. So it's a pretty tough opening three matches. And if that doesn't focus their attention, like we see how France are bubbling along nicely. We see the new resurgence of England because the targets don't get any easier. In the 90s, Ireland couldn't win a match away from home. Then Ireland started beating England. That's an enormous psychological, at both Heineken Cup level and at international level. We've beaten South Africa away. We've beaten Australia away. We've beaten, in theory, <laughs> New Zealand away in Chicago. These are massive step, stepping stones. But to your point, I think no one is getting ahead of themselves because there's a body of work to be done. But what's really encouraging is, like I look at Jack Conan, I've always banged the drum for Jack Conan. I think he's a super player. So different from CJ Standard. But the team are playing in a way now that is so much better because Jack Cohn is number eight. And that sounds disrespectful to CJ Standard's not. You can see the evolution of it. But I think everybody is agreeing. There's a body of work to do, and there's two years or so to the to the next World Cup, and it really you got to beat New Zealand in the World Cup to really, really, really. But to have done it three times in the last five pictures, wow! Absolutely, Liam. Thanks, a great, great from you. Th thanks for talking to us, Bob. The, the New Zealand press, unsurprisingly, have gone for Ian Foster following the defeat and the performance. Um, you'll have followed them this summer in the Rugby Championship. Should he be concerned? It's a funny one for me, you know, the, 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 the coaches of New Zealand are, are, are very well-protected individuals. They, they're also very well-prepared individuals. They use good language. They, they talk about succession. They talk about um, teams understanding roles. They te talk about, you know, quite a, quite a few things that, that I think um, of, of the, over the last sort of 18 months or so have tripped them up. So, you know, things like Sam Kane was made captain without any real consult for, for an Adi Severe, and then, you know, he never played during that period and he was on posters or on the And a lot of people in New Zealand were saying, hang on, what about the guys playing week in and week out doing well for the Wellington Hurricanes? Yeah, yeah. And I think Sam Kane's a great player, but, but he, he, you know, he had a concussion incident and then a shoulder injury. So um, the coaches stood back from that and they said, no, it's about succession plan. It's about, and Ian Foster, I think, is a brilliant coach. Make no mistake. I really think he is. I'm just not sure that he's nailed the sort of protect, you know, he, mm -hmm. he's not quite in the top room of the castle at the top of the hill. You know, Steve Hansen was untouchable. Steve Hansen could have 
after he'd won two World Cups, he, he could have walked naked down the, the, the street in, in Auckland. They would have celebrated and said, that's what we all should do. You know, follow, follow the man in, in, in the prince in his clothes. Could have shot someone on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, well, exactly. Oh. And, and I think, I, I don't think Foster is currently as protectable. And, mm-hmm. and, and therefore, you might just see, you might just see cracks in, in that space. But the thing is, they've got a litany of great coaches. They've got a, 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 a whole bunch of super rugby coaches who could stand up a number of people who've done the job and work together. And they are very cohesive as a national coaching group. So I think they will rally and protect him and try and keep him and his opportunity together for a bit longer. But, but um, losing is not going to help that. No, no, it isn't. But New Zealand do not um, traditionally do not lose games in succession, manager. And the, the French game is a big test for them. It is. Now, if they come unstuck with them, there'll be more pressure. I just make this point for people who are listening. I, we spoke to Sean Fitzpatrick about this, and he said it was right 14 weeks they're away. Now, I don't care who you are, mm. that is gonna take it, that's going to take its toll. You, you know, there's the end of the season as well for them, and it's not, you know, you can say you can deal with this, you're all pros, but that's abnormal. No, it's abnormal. Brian, I mean, I, I was writing down um, while Liam was talking there, is that, you know, the Springboks and Australia and New Zealand, Springboks, I, th- I think, is about three weeks extra. So since, since the 28th of April have been in a bubble away from home mm. this year. I mean, it's extraordinary. And, and that includes rugby championship away in Australia, same venues, yeah. you know, playing Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, etc. two weeks, you know, interchange, same hotels, and then not going home, eh? Not going home, going back into a bubble in South Africa. Yeah. So I, I, I feel absolutely that you, you're 100% spot on. These guys are tired. It's, it's, as we can see, it's not a great set of results for Australia. It's not a great set of results for, for New Zealand so far. Um, they'll have to get a victory. But I would say that if anyone's going to get some leeway, it's, it's because in a post-COVID environment, these guys have literally you know, jumped on a, on, on, effectively jumped on a cruise ship uh, six months ago and haven't got off yet. Very briefly, let's touch on Wales. They survived a scare to get past Fiji. They've had a lot of injury problems yeah. um, and unavailability in the first games because of English-based players. Where, where do you th- where, because they were making progress under PVAC. It seems to me they've just stalled a bit, but I can see why. Mm. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. No, I, I don't think so. I think I think if if I if I could have a direct note to to Wayne Pivak, I'd be saying to myself, get the ball to Louis Rizamit. You've got a you've got a hundred and eight to one hundred and nine kilogram winger who's the fastest guy I've ever seen on the rugby pitch, and he gets the ball in space maybe once a game. You know, when Jonah Lomu was at his at his pomp, the All Blacks were, he'd get off the back of the scrum, he'd get off the back of the lineout, he'd get it in space. I mean, what on earth are you doing? He's a he's a top class athlete, and he never gets the ball in space. Mm. You know, when he did, he, he won the game for them. Well, I, the Autumn Series is the only time we get, apart from World Cups, to have Northern Southern Hemisphere. There's always this debate about, is the gap closing? Because Southern Hemisphere have, have been dominant in World Cups. So that You look at the statistics, they you know, win majority of games. Um, what do you think uh, about, I, I almost hesitate to say this, it's a cliched question, but the gap? I, I, I think... This is not a good set of results for Australia and New Zealand so far. I think South Africa will actually be judged on the England results because our, South African fans are just as rabid. You know, if they lose to England, everyone goes, well, what a waste of time going on, on tour at the end of the year. So, so they would want a good victory against England, and then that's good for building going forward. So therefore, the judgment means that, no, it's not a good set of results, and, yes, the gap has closed a little bit. 
I would put in that caveat of that these players have not had a rest since Easter. Yep. Okay, time for some questions. One from John. Was the Irish win the greatest victory in terms of possession and territory over a Tier 1 nation over the All Blacks ever? No, it wasn't. No. Um, it was a very good win, um, where it ranks in their three recent wins. I don't think it really matters, to be honest. I think the first one of the three is always a more difficult. Once you've done it, you know, then, mm. then it becomes easier. And, and, now, and funnily enough, now they've got three. The, the big thing about the All Blacks, as you know, or, or indeed, wh- whichever side is the side that you don't beat regularly, there's a, an air of inevitability when things go wrong. And when you haven't got that, and you're fresh, say, no, we've beaten them, we've beaten fine. Yeah. Don't panic, you know, don't rush things and so on. So that's well, the biggest thing for Ireland. Really. Yeah, and, and, and this Ireland team, I think Liam mentioned it, uh, are building new memories. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if Sexton can stick around for a year and a bit and he knows that, you know, maybe he leaves the, the pitch at 60 minutes against the All Blacks and, and he's got Ireland five or seven points ahead, Carberry hasn't lost at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, so he doesn't drag up an old memory and then make a mistake and knock it on and give it to All Blacks to run the length of the field, which you and I have seen that, them doing that for years. You know, so I think absolutely it's, it's about building the new memories and, and the positive affirmation for the team. Question from Christopher. Box wins over Wales and Scotland are more impressive given the seasonal imbalance of autumn tours favours the home nations in the same way that the end of season tours for England um, and the home nations favour the Southern Hemisphere. He said, look, if England... Uh, beat us, we presume South African on Saturday. Will this really prove to be a seismic result? Um, can I? I think it's. I don't think England are necessarily favourites either, because I think South Africa um, are very, very accomplished at what they do, and they they can win and win with reasonable comfort when they're not playing well. They didn't play particularly well against Scotland. Still, um, turned that over with some despair. Um, and England, you know, playing a game which, which can go wrong under, under pressure. I think it's more important for England, psychologically, that we will want to forget mm. the way in which they were dismantled. I think, um, I, I think you're right. And, 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 you know, there's a number of players in the side who, who will want to make amends for that. Um, I do think that this is a better South African side that played that World Cup final in terms of their experience now, their ability to play that slow-squeeze game. I'm not sure who Rossier Rasmus and Jock Ninobo are going to settle on as the as the final team. Um, I think Reinach has been very good off the bench. Well, does Pollard. it matter? You'll both be on the field coaching them, so it doesn't matter. Oh, of course, there we go. Well, he's a water <laughs> expert. He's not a rugby expert, as he said. Um, but I, I, th- I think the Springboks can actually go into this game. They can they can even start Yankees and and Yankees, and then you know get 40 minutes in and play Pollard and Reinach, and they shouldn't be. 14 to 18 points down against England because it's an, it's an arm wrestle in those first 50 minutes, as we know, 45 minutes. Um, and if they, if they squeeze that, they, they, they could be good enough. I would, I would, I would counter what you said and, and think at home, big crowd, hasn't been in a while. I think the bookies will give a, a, a bit more to England than they would have just on recent, recent form. Good, good result against Australia probably means it's an even match, maybe a point or two England's way or point or two South Africa's way, depending on selection. Well, I think the, you know the the, the 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 way South Africa play means that for long periods of the game it is going to be tight because you know they cut loose when they they get in front and they're one of the best sides at just protecting leads because you, you know, just, I don't mean they, they don't close down games I don't I don't mean they stop playing but they're very disciplined. Yeah, well they um, shut they shut Scotland's every single Scotland opportunity after minute fifty four. 
got shut down. You know, even seven to eleven um, ca- uh, carrying the ball mm. uh, phases of play. You know, then the the final tackle, a big hit from it's knock on. Oh, our scrum squeeze penalty back into your half. So so if they if England allow them to do that, they'll do it all all day long, and they will have no problem winning boring. Now. People can boo and whistle and do all those kind of things. If England win boring, everyone will be dancing in the streets of, of Twickenham. So if, if South Africa win boring, I think that them as a team will be comfortable with that. Question from Chris, final question. Are England still hanging into the past? Farrell has had his day and we need to back Smith and the next generation to play a faster, more open game and challenge the bulky opposition forwards to keep up. What is the point of having two tens in the side? Well... There's no problem having two tens in the side. It, it, it depends who they are, what they do. Well, I think, I think he's answered his own question. The, <laughs> yeah. the, the point of having two tens in the side is so you can spread the ball around from both yeah. sides of, a, of, of an attacking phase. You know, Smith and, and Farrell have got different games, but they've both got great distribution. Uh, England's women, Red Roses, another big win over Canada, three out of three. And uh, the final game against uh, the USA next week, we will be speaking to Rachel Burford for a proper in-depth Look at the campaign and how it's gone. It's going very well, and I wouldn't expect it to go any other way against the USA. And four wins out of four, including two wins over the Kiwis, would be very, very good indeed. So let's hope for that. All we have time for on this week's Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. Huge thank you uh, again to my co-host Bob Stinsiat and to my guest Liam Toland for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, you can check out all our previous ones by subscribing or just registering to the Full Contact podcast channel because it's free a reminder i'll be here through the autumn series and beyond back next week to recap all the weekend's actions and the autumn nation series as a whole but until then it's goodbye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.